All right. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Renee Bohr with Tommy O'Donnell, and this is day 24 of the Ride for the Phoenix for North Lawndale College Prep. And today we had a little bit of everything. Why don't you bring <laughs> everyone up to speed on our pretty exciting, most yeah. exciting day? All right. Yeah, so we started out in Wilmington, Vermont. No, was it Wilmington? We were in Bennington. Bennington. See, that's why I take notes. Oh, See, that's right. Yes. I remember. You, just, you have it all up here. But I, can I remember know. these things. Yes, okay. <laughs> Try to remember them the way they actually happen. Okay, okay. okay. So, so Bennington, Vermont. Yeah. Yes. It was a lot of climbing today, probably close to 4,000 feet. And um, so that's a lot. And uh, by the time we got to the top of, is it Hogsback Mountain? Hogback Mountain. Hogback Mountain. It just started pouring and hailing and <laughs> lightning and you name Well, this it. was on the descent. On the descent, yeah. Right. So we got to... Uh, Not a good situation going downhill yeah. with the rain. Jeez. Yeah. No, it was a little hairy. But, but fortunately, Cindy, our fearless RV driver, was there at the rescue. Yeah. We couldn't get into the RV fast enough. <laughs> she picked us up just in time. <laughs> so so uh, we've got 150 miles to go before we take our dip in the Atlantic Ocean. Right. So Getting two more closer. days of riding. Yeah. So let's introduce today's guest. All right. Jason Smith from Dallas, Texas area. Welcome, Jason. Thank you. And uh, the question of the day for Jason, we're just going to tee this up, and we're going to ask you some questions to let you kind of think it over, and then have you Great. answer it at the end. So are you ready to go with this? I am, too. All right. All right, so today's question is from Jenica Jones, who asks, All right, how can you set high expectations for people under your care? Mm -hmm. A good one. Uh, very good. Mm -hmm. So think that over for a little bit, but uh, okay. But before you answer that question, we just have some questions for you as we do for all the guests that we've had on during this uh, the last three weeks. So first one is just give us give us a little background on who you are and where you're from and where you grew up and what got you to where we are today doing this podcast. So all that in three minutes or less. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Reader's Digest version. I'm um, originally from uh, Louisiana, grew up just south of New Orleans, and um, really had a, a great childhood experience. I think one of the most defining aspects of my childhood was playing baseball uh, through childhood, through high school, and uh, ultimately that's what led me to Fort Worth, Texas, to play baseball at Texas Christian University. And so that was opportunity to spread my wings. Um, I knew I didn't want to stay in Southern Louisiana. You're you're kind of pigeonholed with a, with a few specific industries in that part of the country. And I was more interested in technology. And uh, North Texas at that time had the communications corridor, the telecom corridor, uh, where all the big telecom companies were were uh, being headquartered. So that attracted me to the North Texas area. Uh, met my wife at TCU, and we've been married now a little over 15 years with three kiddos. Um, from the entrepreneurship side, I, I, I was bit by that bug at a very young age. At eight years old, um, I took on the effort to raise $109 to buy my own Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, that we, we were uh, very 
middle class family. Um, never went without anything we needed, but there wasn't just an extra $110 lying around for toys. And so I, I struck out and over the course of a year, cut grass, washed cars and saved birthday money to, to buy that for myself. And without even realizing it at that time, that's what really started me on an entrepreneurial bend was, uh, hey, if you're willing to work and be creative, um, the, the world is your oyster. Sure. Yeah. 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 That ultimately led me to a couple of entrepreneurial ventures in the technology field, uh, built and sold two companies over the course of about 11 years, and then transitioned into the family office um, space, where now I help entrepreneurs who are having success in their own professional lives, translate that into personal success and, and family and community impacts. Um, very rewarding. And uh, I think my greatest wish is that I would have known some of the things I've learned today back when I was building those companies. And I think about what I would have done differently. And that's what drives me to be passionate about helping other entrepreneurs make those decisions differently as they're happening. Hey, just backing up for a minute, what position did you play in baseball at TCU? I was a pitcher. Yeah, relief pitcher. Kind of a left-hander, middle-inning guy, the setup guy. Very cool. So when you watch a baseball game, could you pretty well tell what kind of a pitch is coming? Just by watching. I do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's fun. You know, the, the really good pitchers are able to hide that quite well. Uh, that's what's that's what made someone like a Greg Maddox so lethal at pitching was every pitch looked the same until the point at which it would break. So it's fun to watch pitchers like that. Um, but then also it's 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 fun to see the game unfold with a little more trained eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. So what are you working on now, Justin? Well, um, in the family office space, I'm I'm helping entrepreneurs really create legacies out of their success. And so for some families, that looks like helping with a multi-generational transition of their business from founder to second generation. In some cases, that's um, helping folks do a, an exit, a cash out, and then redeploy those assets for new businesses or philanthropic uh, endeavors. Uh, and all the while, making sure that they're tax efficient, uh, legally efficient, and that they're protected from some of the blind spots that success complexity that accompanies success. Yeah, yeah. So Jason, tell us tell us about your educational experience at TCU. You know, it really helped bring me out of my shell. I, I started out in computer science, thinking that I was gonna be the super technical, uh, kind of subject matter expert type of person. And what I found was I much more enjoyed applying technology. I enjoyed learning about challenges and solving problems rather than developing new technologies. And so after my sophomore year, I switched over to the business uh, information program. And that really required me then to interact with non-technical people. So I, I would say I was in the minority in the business school of someone coming from a, from a more technical background. Mm -hmm. And um, most of my classmates were coming from more of a business administrative background. So that really required me to learn communication skills. We had to make class presentations. Um, I was a very shy person, naturally, uh, and so you have to come out of your shell if you're going to be successful in other environments. Right. Yeah. So TCU was a fantastic experience from that point of view. Even on top of the academic challenge, it was about developing me as a person and creating those soft skills 
that um, aren't necessarily taught in the in the computer science department. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. So, so Jason, what would what would you say is the most valuable lesson that you've learned through your educational experience, whether it's TCU or just growing up, you know, in general? I, I think it was a um, an ability to self teach. So, when you want to learn something, not simply relying on a course or a program to teach it to you, you know. Um, there were there were instances where I was I would get particularly fascinated with a subset of a class, uh, a particular topic in a class, and I would want to dive deep into that topic, and so I would seek out other resources to go beyond what the class required, and that really led me uh, to become a lifelong, you know, things that pique my interest or things that I think would be useful as I'm helping other people. Yeah. Um, I don't hesitate to. Google a question or find a book or um, look for a YouTube video of someone that's wrestling with the same question or interest. Sure. So I think the desire to become a lifelong learner was spurred on during those college experiences. Very cool. All right, so also I was wondering who has had the biggest influence on your life? I would have to say it's my dad. Um, I've never met anyone that can outwork him. <laughs> yeah. Just just that commitment to to see a project through, to get a project done. As annoying as that was as a middle school kid or maybe as a high school kid, you know, just to want to, hey, let's let's quit with this project for now. We'll pick it back up tomorrow. It's like, right. Let's finish it off. Let's just get it done. Yeah. So that was a big influence. And, and also his um, his real desire for myself and my three siblings to get more education than he had the opportunity to get. So he's he's had a little bit of a tough road because he's sort of in that generation where college wasn't the default for his generation, but then he got trapped by the generation after him where everyone does have a college degree. So for him, ensuring that we got through at least a bachelor's degree, he felt was just a foundational education that he wanted us all to have. I actually had the uh, pleasure of meeting his dad at, what is it, the Lost Cajun. He, his dad has a restaurant in, is it Keller, yep. right? Keller, in Keller, Texas. Yep. Texas, yeah. The it's Lost a, Cajun it's restaurant. It's a Cajun restaurant. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Really, really good place. All right, on my next trip, I know where we're going to go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> in Texas. Yeah, we got it. All right. So are you ready for today's question of the day? I am. Yes. A couple <laughs> thoughts come to mind with that question. Right. So I, I read an interesting study where um, a group of people were split into uh, leader A and leader B. And both groups were given teams of people and told to accomplish a particular task. Well, the group of leader A's were all told that they were working with extremely high performers. And the group B folks were told that, but were told nothing about their group, just achieve this task. Okay. Yep. And so the, the results were the, the leaders from group A that led those teams had between a 25 and 30% greater success at the given tasks, regardless of what the task was, than did group B, who was told nothing about their group. So the results of that study were very interesting in that giving yourself not only the permission, but the responsibility to expect the most from your team 
is really step one in setting expectations. Don't allow your own bias or your own assumptions to limit what your team is capable of. So push them, expect great things of them. And um, at least by the results of this study, you will get greater, ex greater execution. Sure. I think part of that is communication, is communicating with people, um, not only what you expect, but what you think they're capable of in, in an encouraging manner. So if the baseline is to accomplish a task, how can I um, encourage you to improve upon how the task is done? Right. Or uh, maybe the baseline is, is simply that and, and we encourage then people to, to achieve more, be on a path to achieve more so that if we only accomplish what is expected, at least we did that. Mm -hmm. That's great. So as a, um, so Jenica Jones, who asked that question, as a student at North Lawndale, how would, how would she um, then apply that to her, uh, I don't know what grade she's in, but with, you know, how would she apply that to working with her fellow students at, at you know, at North Lawndale? Yeah, yeah, first and foremost, just know that people are capable of extraordinary things if, um, if you allow them the room to achieve. And secondly, communicate to your teammates that we have, this, we have the assignment before us. This is what we need to do in order to be successful at a baseline. Um, but let's consider that a C. Let's consider doing only what is required, average. And then let's find ways in which we can approve upon the deliverables to truly be above average, truly be exceptional. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. So what do you think leads to uh, better job satisfaction? Working for a boss that has high expectations or working for someone who sets the bar pretty low and doesn't really have any kind of clear expectations? This is sort of a loaded question. Yeah. But from your own experience, though. From your own experience, Jason. You, 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 yeah, there's certainly... I think setting those high expectations does two things. It creates energy. It, it, it creates a sense of urgency. And it also allows people to self-select out of a team that's going to decide to be high achievers. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would say that this job satisfaction piece is a little bit of a twist there because if I if I am just looking to be average, if I'm looking just to punch a clock and, and pull down a paycheck, you challenging me better than what I want to be there's no job satisfaction there. But if you're looking to create high performing teams who enjoy challenges and appreciate the, the success for the success and the paycheck is, is a great way to, uh, to, to cover your own responsibilities in the midst of doing fun and engaging work, then absolutely you're looking for managers who want to push, push the envelope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good, very good. So do you have, let me just turn the tables a little bit. Do you have a question for us? We've been firing all these questions at you, Jason. So uh, do you have a question? <laughs> this is like stumps and chumps. You know, here we go. Are you ready? There we go. This yeah, is okay, exciting part. Here we go. <laughs> well, I'm curious with the, with the ride that you're doing to raise awareness for the school, um, you know, what specifically is it about this school that, that you want a broader audience to know is happening there? Great question. So, you know, the mission of the school is to develop tomorrow's leaders today. And when you think about the value of giving 
kids a leg up in life, uh, that's something that resonated with us. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, you know, similar to the experience that you shared regarding your father, I mean, my parents were the same way. They never uh, had an opportunity to even go on to high school. We were immigrants, came to this country uh, when I was five years old. And it was all about uh, books. We always had books in the house. Yeah. Always had books in the house. And I, and I think that's the thing about, uh, about North Lawndale as well is, is uh, you know, you mentioned being a lifelong learner. I don't think that, that the kids are looking just to graduate high school or just to graduate college. It's to really do something with their lives. And it's exciting to hear some of the success stories yeah. you know, oh, yeah. that, uh, that graduate. So, uh, well, one of my high school baseball coaches has gone on to become president and CEO of a, a similar concept for a school um, in New Orleans, in, in a very impoverished seventh ward of New Orleans, where all the students go tuition free. It's all community based and, and supported for that very same reason. You, know, you, you don't end poverty with money, you end it with education end it with a change in culture and a change in expectations. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we're on the same page with that. Cool. you have a thought on that question that he asked? Well, I thought it was interesting. Like, when we um, we interviewed Sue Ellen a couple days ago, She's she works for North Wandale, and um, she's she uh, is in the marketing and fundraising. But anyway, she was just telling us about how uh, it costs on average about anywhere from $2,500 to $4,000 more per student to get them up to the same level of education as, you know, a, a, an average, you know, student in the U.S. Um, just because mm -hmm. they're dealing with so many more issues, you know, uh, emotional or, yeah. you know, things at home or whatever it might be, you know, it, there's such a distraction in their lives mm -hmm. that they don't have the luxury of being able to really, um, you know, advance through through their lives and, and get, you know, they're not surrounded by the, a lot of the right people and so on. So just, I thought that was interesting yeah. that she said, it, you know, just to get them on par with, with an average student, it costs about that much more. And, um, you know, it makes sense to me, you know, why there's a lot of people out there who do raise money uh, and do charities like this for schools, you know. Yeah. One of the interesting statistics I read about uh, the poverty issue in, in southern Louisiana is that if you don't get these kids on the right track, on average, the state will spend $2 million in various incarcerations and prosecutions of someone and that's over 60% of these students who don't graduate from at least high school. Um, on average, you're spending $2 million over their lifetime in tax dollars. So it's like, why don't we spend the, the four to six to $10,000 per year to create more productive people uh, than to turn around and spend 2 million over their 25 year incarceration? Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, the kids there, no one feels entitled. They know they have to work for it. And it's not an easy curriculum. No. Yeah. Know? So this right. isn't, this isn't uh, skating through school. This is doing the hard work. No. 
And I think that willingness to do the hard work really prepares you for life because it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> when I got when I was going to high school, I thought, well, I can hardly wait to get to college. We're going to be a lot easier. And then after that, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work that way. So I think it, you know yeah. you, you do have to be a lifelong learner. If you're standing still, you're going backwards. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Right. Well, this has been this has been really enjoyable. Yeah. And, uh, appreciate you taking yeah, time from your from your busy schedule. And next time in in uh, in Dallas, we're gonna have to make a road trip. I think so. We'll have yes. To make a road trip yes. To your dad's place. That sounds like it. Let me know. Place. We'll we'll head over there and make sure you get the Cajun treatment. <laughs> okay. Very good. Thanks All right. again. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Good night. Bye.